NAVDA 2022 demographic survey results are out. Pay and education have increased, but burnout and debt are still issues. This week, we talk about the new report and what it means to us in the veterinary profession on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine and pay, education, burnout, and debt are all tough topics to deal with. And this week, we're going to discuss the recently published NAVDA 2022 demographic survey results and some of the insights and lessons that we can learn and more importantly, how we can take this knowledge and make our profession better. But before we get into making stuff better, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, I think a lot of us, in fact, over 28,000 is the final count uh, of us, are sort of in that post-VMX period when we're kind of like trying to collect our brains and catch up on all the work that we missed. I mean, are you kind of feeling like, oh, wow. (laughs) Those weren't the words I said, but yeah, it's funny because I think it's like, um, it's also this weird space between VMX and WVC. So conference season is upon us. Uh, So yeah, I think there's this weird, got to get caught up before I have to leave and get caught behind again. Um, But it was a great conference. Um, I've had a lot of fun kind of going through and and catching up with folks that um, I had conversations with there. And um, so I think it was a very productive conference and ended on high notes, including good weather. Yeah. And and I've got to tell you, one of my highlights was just getting to spend time with you. And we did a live, you know, recording there. That's fun. Hopefully we can pull that off at WVC if our schedules align. But one of the things, too, that we like about VMX and WVC is the fact that these allow organizations, companies, and so forth to sort of launch their big thing, right? You know, share their big news or whatever. And one of the big news that was debuted there at VMX 2023 was the NAFTA demographic survey. So Becky, maybe, you know, as president-elect of NAFTA, give us a little bit of insight into like what that report, you know, was all about. Why was it generated? And why is it important to maybe pay attention to some of the lessons in there? I am not officially president-elect as of this recording until the 24th. So I just want to uh, say when you guys hear this, it will be official, I guess. But, you know, in general, these demographic surveys are incredibly important in the sense that in well, because data, right? Like because we need to hear from as many people as we possibly can. Um, It is what we have as far as representation. We know that the numbers are not what we want them to be. We don't have as many technicians involved in participating as we need. Um, And I honestly could, could say, I think there are more technicians who listen to this podcast on a regular basis than there are that actually answered that survey from a numbers Probably standpoint true. True. to just sort of put things in perspective, right? And so if you're listening and you didn't take this, uh, please go do your membership to NAFTA, get involved, be a member so that we can work together. Um, that being said, if you are a, uh, a manager, an employer, a, a veterinarian, or anybody in this profession, the reason it's important is because the issues that we're facing are important. And if the bottom line right now is we don't have enough veterinary professionals, then we have to be really addressing the concerns that are keeping professionals from staying or being in this industry. And this demographic survey, I think, is pretty representative of it. 
Yeah. And again, to be fair, Becky, I mean, they did state that they had 1886, 1,886 qualified individual responses. So these were people, I guess, that they somehow determined that they were legitimately LVTs, RVTs, CVTs, right? And I think that's okay. They had a margin of error of 2%, uh, which some people call confidence intervals and so forth. But, you know, so I think that it's, it's, is reflective and representative of the veterinary technician state of affairs right now. I think it's, so again, it's a good start. You need more data, but you know, again, I, I'm like you and uh, Becky, how many times do we have to say, Hey, if you want to make change, you got to be a part of the change. So this is a great opportunity. Get your voice out there. Right. I mean, this is easy. Yeah, it's, it's super easy. Um, I, you know, I think that just being involved in general, apathy is something we've talked about in terms of the ability to make change. So these are great questions that I think dive into the nuts and bolts of the profession. I think sometimes we just get tired of saying the same things over and over again. Surveys can be a little bit daunting, but you know, I think we have to be really considerate of getting these answers out there, getting this information out there. And so even if you didn't take it, Head over to the NAFTA website. It can be a little bit tricky to find. It's actually under the, the latest news section. And share this around. Put this up in your clinic. Take this to your meeting and say, hey, guys, this is what the word is on coming from the 30,000-foot view. How much does this relate to you and how you feel in our practice? Can you take this, this large-level information, this high-level information, and bring it into your practice to see how it affects or relates to and how much your technicians agree with it? And then how can you create change within your practice from this information? Yeah. And I'll tell you, the place to start is with wages and hours worked. And this is sort of like going back to some of the benchmarks that we've used in the past for fee setting, right? So a lot of times, Becky, clinics will look and they'll say, hey, what's the average? What's the 75th percentile? What's in my region? How much people charging for spay neuters and so forth? And I think that this is a great benchmark to look at, are you being paid commiserate with other folks in your area and, and just some of the high level stuff. And again, I encourage you, we'll have show no and links in the show notes, but go back and look at it. But the average hourly rate for a veterinary technician slash nurse, they actually use that term throughout in 2022 was $26.50. So Becky, this was up compared to their last survey that was done like this in 2016. What I thought was really interesting is that about 27% of the respondents said they were making 16 to $20 and 33% said 21 to 25, meaning that that's the majority of people were making, you know, lower amounts. There were some that were making, you know, $40 plus, I think, which kind of skewed that up there. But again, when you look at average, which is how they reported it, uh, was that. Now, if you looked at median salary, Becky, I mean, $23 US, US uh, is, is that adequate? 23 bucks an hour or $26 an hour? Is that adequate? It depends on who you are, right? <laughs> I mean, but like, you know, they, I think there was, I the, the Carrie Journey has some really interesting statistics on this. Carrie Journey with NAMVI, um, that she talks about the ideal um, salary for a veterinary professional in a livable wage and, and in terms of what they're the, when they basically are happy and they're not worrying about their day to day. And, and I, I want to say it was somewhere around $27 an hour, 21, 27, something like that, something very reasonable 
created a salary, uh, a wage that the majority of veterinary technicians felt was appropriate. And, and they felt that they were being compensated for what they were doing from, from the data that she has some really interesting data on that. I don't want to quote it specifically because sure. again, I just gave you like a $7 range on it right. and hers is more specific, but I do think, I mean, it, it, it is the problem. The problem with this is, is that for me, the majority of veterinary technicians that I talk to, that's not what they're making. You know, I, I know that we're here in North Carolina where the wages are lower. I know that we're contending with states like New York and California who are paying in the $20 range on a regular basis. But the majority of, of veterinary technicians that I speak to um, on the day-to-day general practice level that are not VTSs that are not in university that are just in your regular general practice, probably not corporate are really bringing somewhere around 15 to $17 an hour. Um, and that's that's just not, that's what I hear a lot more frequently than being in the twenties. So yeah, I think that 20 and, and it's like you said, things skew it. We have technicians out there making six figures in research in academia in making really you know um high five figures in recruiting and sales and and i think what's happening more than the wages are changing the roles are changing veterinary technicians are getting in more high level roles in the industry that's a good that point. come with higher wage that is therefore making it look like veterinary technicians are making more money but i think if you took this and drilled it down a little more specific to general practice, industry, management, your day-to-day folks. I don't think your average in-clinic general practice veterinary technician is making in their 20s, In uh, again, on average. Right. And I didn't see in the report, Becky, any breakdown like industry versus private practice versus corporate. And so that would be very helpful, I think, to dissect the, the numbers out further. Having said all of that, Becky, I still think that this could be a negotiation tool for a veterinary technician out there because at sure. least you can see. And, and look, I agree with you. It's probably skewed towards some of the the high performers within the vet tech profession, right? Because they're the ones that are active in vet tech organizations and probably eager to share some of this information. But you know, regardless, if you're sitting there making $15 an hour, this is probably a good tool to have in front of you when you're negotiating for that next raise. I did think it was interesting, Becky, too, that like you said, about 17% of the respondents in this survey, and again, 1,800 plus, 1,900 or so vet techs, 17% were making over $31 an hour. So I think that's clearly going to be those people, like you said, in either leadership positions, corporate you know, entities, research, things like that. Yeah. And I also think we need to look at that number against inflation from 2016. So when we look at the salary being up from 2016, I would I would argue probably so are the number of credentialed professionals in that clinic, therefore inherently raising that. Um, the differentiation between credentialed versus non is there because of the NAFTA demographic part of it. But in our day-to-day average salary. But I mean, when we consider, you know, it was like, a, I don't know, it was like seven, almost 8% inflation in 2022 alone. Uh, it was like, I think it was 5% in 2021. So if you go back to 2016 and then you kind of count your way up to 2022, you know, we've probably seen almost 10% inflation. And so then when I look at the numbers of what they're making 2016 versus 2022, I'm like, unfortunately, 
I don't think much of that is being pocketed either. I think a lot of that is just so that they can live and it has not created more financial wealth for them. It has created the ability to keep up with the insane inflation in our society. And so um, I think sometimes employers get in this kind of like, well, I gave you a quarter raise and they think that that is incentive incendiary instead of like right. just sort of cost of living. So um, I see I see these numbers increase, but with those percentage of increase, I want to consider that like 10% of that is just economical inflation. Well, and even worse is the fact that student debt has gone up alongside that. So now yeah. most, I mean, the average debt that you guys were reporting in this was uh, nearly $30,000, right? I mean, and I get it that that's like average US, you know, student debt. So you're right there in the pocket. But at the end of the day, Becky, I mean, you know, it's still, you know, I mean, that's still a tremendous amount of debt, I think, for for a wage earner that's maybe making, you know, much less than the average US worker or college graduate, maybe. I guess part of me is like, I just really love numbers and data so much. And then it, it ends up leaving me with a lot of questions. But I kind of wonder how much of that is actually debt from veterinary technology program. Right. Fair. Is it directly related to their profession? Because I see a lot of folks come into this profession with an animal science degree, with a zoology degree, with these kind of undergrad degrees that they would have originally put them into vet school. And then they either didn't get in or decided they didn't want to or had some kind of change. In addition to that, we're going to inherently see the student debt increase with the number of credential technicians increase. As we have demanded credentialing, what we know is a lot of these students who are in practice have to go to online schools. Many of all of the online schools are proprietary because, right? Because so what I think we will continue to see is student debt increase as we continue to demand credentialing in this role. Yeah, I love that. And again, they did ask a question and the way I interpreted it, they said, hey, uh, to, to again, to veterinary technicians filling out this, this uh, survey, they said, do credentialed and uncredentialed staff, veterinary technicians, have the same duties? And Becky, I mean, clearly 32% agreed and 22% strongly agreed that credentialed and uncredentialed did the same thing in the vet clinic. And that's terrible. 54% of registered veterinary technicians taking the survey, Becky said, I kind of do the same thing as somebody without the student debt, without the degree, without the credentials. That's also concerning. Terrifying. It's terrifying. And, you know, it, it, this is where the credentialing and the title thing kind of becomes a circle conversation. Right. And I, I have had it with so many of my, of my uncredentialed, at the end of the day, depending on the state that you're in, there is such a thing as a non-credentialed veterinary technician in, in certain states. So depending on the state that you're in, you are not misappropriating the title to say veterinary technician if it is not protected. Right. Problem is, a lot of the states it is protected, we are still misappropriating the title. That's where the issue in lies. However, a couple things. I just had this conversation with Aaron Davis at VMX. He's with Destination Pet. Brilliant, um, on-the-job trained veterinary professional. He works in New York state. So he's not in practice anymore. If he was, he would be an assistant. But what we know is he, like so many others are, are incredibly talented, smart, educated individuals who don't have formal education. And we're kind of running into this kind of, um, constant conversation. Some of the, the leading top veterinary technicians in the nation who you guys are, have had, been, I won't, I'm not going to call anybody out specifically, but they have been on the show. They are, have written textbooks. They are VTSs. 
Many of them went non-traditional routes to get credentialed. Sure. Many of them did yeah. not graduate from AVMA accredited programs. So the title part of this is becoming a, a real tricky spot for us. But in, in the states where it's protected, there is no such thing as a uncredentialed veterinary technician. But without clarity in utilization and distinguishing what these, and this is where the Practice Act issue is so important for NAFTA, and it's so important to so many veterinary professionals who are counting on NAFTA to kind of come up with this model Practice Act and for Practice Acts to really, truly be clear on utilization and um, indirect and direct supervision and all of those things because this, the skills and the utilization and the oversight are really, really minced. And it's it's a disservice truly to our yeah, profession yeah. because it, it's going to become harder and harder to justify the debt. And so therefore we have to protect the title and protect the skills. It's truly not fair to somebody who um, comes in and, and is just basically told you don't get to use this title, but I am going to require you to do all the same things. And I'm not going to pay you because you don't have the title because you didn't go to school. But there is always clear differences. And, and and to me, they almost always show up in the lab. And most people will agree with this, right? Is yeah, that you yeah. can learn so much stuff on the job, but like that year analysis is really the tricky part. There still are differences. Um, title protection, utilization, and clarification of oversight I, are going to be my mantra as president-elect and president because this is not fair to either side as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, amen. And, and again, if you go back also, I mean, I encourage you to go and look at the survey. Again, we'll have links in the show notes. But back in the last survey in 2016, when they did this, they do different surveys, but this is like their big demographic. In 2016, 90% of respondents said it was important to have a national standardized credentialing requirement for veterinary technicians, okay? This year, 83% respondents, which I thought was interesting. In addition, this year, 87% said that it was important to protect and limit the title of vet tech, just like Becky is saying here. So this is a really big deal. Now, Becky, here's where it gets a little more interesting to me because they all this section they have on job satisfaction and personal wellness, all this stuff. In 2016, Becky, and again, I think this all ties in with title protection, duties and pay and all that stuff. In 2016, 51% said, I am very satisfied and will stay in vet technology. This year though, Although they admit it was worded differently, only 27% of respondents said they are extremely satisfied with their veterinary technology career. More than 70% had said that they were somewhat satisfied. So, I mean, Becky, I mean, I think it's all interrelated. Oh, it's totally interrelated. I guess I just kind of am like, what is your overall life satisfaction in general? I mean, the okay. idea that we're yeah. doing this demographic survey between COVID, blow, like, I think that it's just so interesting to me. Like, I have so many questions because I'm like, I think people are discontent in general. I also think there's like this trend to hating your job. I think there's like a trend, this like yeah. overall wave of just like, being apathetic, being disengaged, being bitter. It's like, I just see, maybe I just see it everywhere. And that seems to be the overreaching tone, but it's like, it's never good enough. And that seems to be the, what I hear from so many professionals without a clear, concise uh, ability to convey what is good enough, what they do want, what would make it better. So I, I guess I just get frustrated because I'm like, are you unhappy with the profession? Are you unhappy with 
your profession? Are you unhappy with your job? What does that really drill down to? Because those are too high in numbers for us all to be going to work every day, disengaged, unhappy, and not enjoying our life. But if we're talking about the profession on a high level, the way that we feel about our colleagues and how they're being treated, the future, our growth potential, that's a different story. So I really, I would love more information about what folks define these very generalized questions as, because truly if 87% of you are unhappy every day with your job, I'm worried about our patients. <laughs> right, right. And again, you know, Becky, I'm with you hundred percent societal pressure to say, I don't like my job or whatever, quite quitting all that stuff. We've talked about this, you know, in, in, in our podcast over the years, but you know, I do, I do think that there's some lessons. And I agree with you. I think there's this trend towards, hey, woe is me. But I also think that we can learn. In fact, what they did was they said, okay, well, what are the issues facing you guys? And of course, at the top of the list, 56% said the most significant issue facing veterinary technicians in the United States was salary and benefits. No surprise there. Uh, Second was high number of colleagues experiencing compassion fatigue. So, uh, you know, Becky, I think that that, again, workplace support, nurturing and so forth, High volume of patients and the economy were also right at the top of the list. And then corporate veterinary practices popped up as a significant issue. Becky, any comments like, you know, on salary, compassion fatigue, too many patients, too fast, economy, corporate, any of that stuff kind of strike a chord with you? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's it's one of those things where is it is this independent to you or is this across the board as a profession or is it just what you're out there hearing? Sometimes I just feel like there's so much bandwagoning when it comes to a lot of this and very little actionable um, change in the industry. I think there just becomes this, this is the mantra for our profession. But I do think that, you know, in general, everyone is feeling... Again, the timing for 2022 is so weird because everyone was so overwhelmed in COVID and so overloaded. And we have had, we do have a shortage of everything and everyone everywhere. So of course, to me, the, this is a time where we are feeling this so much. When we say demographic survey, I'm like, this is actually very self-reporting opinion-based survey. Sure, sure. There is no actual demographics behind it in the sense of like, are you actual, like, what is the numbers in the clinic? Are people actually reporting data that backs up and proves this? Or is this just our, our emotional state when answering this quiz? And I think that's what kind of bothers me about this in general. Everyone is feeling all of these things, but I, I, I think without a real good sense of of what it doesn't feel like. So I don't think everybody out there felt fully staffed and um, that they were running on great schedules and that everything was under control prior to COVID. Then, you know, the proverbial (laughs) poop really hit the proverbial fan. Right. And then it kind of got even worse. What I know is that when I talk to technicians who are clinics who are doing it right and handling it well, they were doing it well before COVID. They did it well through COVID and they're doing it okay now. And they're all still really happy because the boundaries are there. The management is there. The leadership is there. So again, I, I, the timing of this is, is really odd. And to me, I don't know that we have actual data to back this up. So my frustration is that all of these answers 
seem to be most of these answers outside of pay and such and such like with actual number driven data is very emotionally based. And I get concerned that because we live in, in such a tiny little world in this profession, the constant rhetoric, the constant conversations, be, because it is the overreaching tone, it is trickling down into this survey. Yeah, I, I think that's really good point and insight. And again, you know, viewfinders, I think what Becky, you know, really is trying to say, at least as I'm hearing it, Becky, is the fact that sometimes when we continue to amplify these voices that actually might be a minority, that we sort of overlook the people that are are successful. And you know, I used to always say, Becky, I really look to people that are successful in an area that I want to be more successful in for my lessons, as opposed to always hearing, you know, oh, oh woe is me and everything's down. Because I mean, we live in an, we need to celebrate. We have an amazing profession. I just want us to never lose sight of that because when you're really happy and, and content in this profession, it is a joy to me. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying these aren't realistic. I'm not saying right, right, right. don't feel this way. They do. I'm just sort yeah. of saying like they absolutely do. They absolutely do. Right. I'm just sort of saying like it's like you and I have talked about in the past, like tons of people out there say I don't get paid enough, but couldn't tell you what they needed to get paid to be right. happy, to be financially secure. That's what I guess I'm getting at is. People are saying they're overworked, they're underpaid, they're too, okay, how many appointments should you be having in a day? No, very few people can say I can handle X number of appointments per doctor with this many of technicians. Most people don't know what the formula is. And so I, that is, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it isn't, it is not that they are not feeling like this. I know they are, I hear it, but it's sort of like, do you know how to feel any differently? And do you really know why you feel like that? Or is it just because it's what you're constantly hearing? Right. And and again, many of the respondents said that poor management was also part of it. And again, I'm with you, Becky, like one of the foundational things that I tried to get across and it never got any traction 20 years ago was this theory of appointment capacity, because there is a limit to what you can see. And so when we see things like high number of visits or large number of patient care, or high volume, all that stuff, like, you know, it's that's because that's that management hasn't actually said, what can we handle based on what we've got? Another thing too, that kind of, I, I guess was interesting to me was that they, and I think this is where your numbers are skewed a little bit, excuse me, Becky, but the average length of employment or work in the veterinary profession was at over 14 years. And then when you go down and you look at how long have you been at your current job, the vast majority were there less than five years. So, you know, this is also concerning because this, this tells me that a lot of people are shifting jobs and what you really need to find out, Becky, is again, like you said, the impact of the pandemic, because, you know, what was it like in 2018, for example, or 2020 pre pre pandemic, right? Where they were more people at a job, a longer period of time. Did the pandemic spur movement? Did, did raises go? I mean, you know what I'm saying, Becky? I mean, this is, there's a lot more to slice this. This onion needs to be a little more finely sliced in my opinion too. Yeah. And and I think there's more opportunities for technicians. People are hiring technicians into positions that they would not have, you know, probably 10 years ago. Um, They're hiring technicians into roles and responsibilities and more technicians are entrepreneurs than ever before. Right. So, you know, um, the, the, the scope has changed. You know, we, we are not asking the, I, I think that this could be, you know, in a little more of a vacuum of general practice and industry, it could be broke, like you said, sliced and broken better to where we could dissect these numbers a little more. And the only reason I think it's important is because things like this can actually be great and actually be bad. Because if you open this demographic survey and you say, well, everybody hates their job and they're making more money, <laughs> that's, that's going to affect you as a professional right. in this industry. Um, 
it's going to affect you in your own personal job satisfaction when you are making $15 an hour and you see a demographic survey like this that says on average you should be making 22 or something like that. Yes, it's bargaining tool for your employer, but then I feel like this is the thing that turns employers right back out to the street because they say, I can't afford to be paying credential technicians $20 an hour, so I'm just going to go back to the OJT situation, get them in here for 12 So I, I just think that there is a lot of these things can be good, but without a lot of context and without a little bit more of drilling it down, we can generalize these numbers into trouble. Yeah. Ooh, wow. Really well said. Generalize these numbers into trouble. I totally agree. And you know, we've seen this on the vet side, Becky, over the years where I, I urge a lot of caution. I've been involved with a lot of reports and committee reports and so forth, where we were painting a very, very negative picture. I was like, hey, this may have broad reaching implications, meaning that we may actually turn off people that might be attracted and really capable veterinarians because they're reading this story of, oh, wow, this is awful. These people hate their job, blah, blah, blah. And so, um, yeah, I think there is some risk there. I think finally, as we wind up today, Becky, one of the, the sections, well, the, the section I liked, I me personally, was the utilization section. And that is like, are you being utilized to your full potential? And again, this is self-reporting. So Becky, Vettex would define full potential here. And 60% said only sometimes or not that they were being utilized to their full potential. So I think this means from a manage, management perspective, we have an opportunity because vet techs are going, I can do more and you're not letting me or allowing me somehow. So that, I mean, I think we've got a lot of opportunity to grow there. That's how I spun that at least. Oh, for sure. And I'll tell you, I think that we have been forced into utilization with shortages. And that's kind of the best thing for technicians with the shortages. More and more, I have heard managers and veterinarians saying, how can I better utilize my technicians to fill the gap that I have right now without having a full veterinary staff? And so a lot of them are being, are being forced into utilization and being kind of like, hey, I actually know how to do that. I can do that. Right. I should be doing that. And that's the best thing to come from this shortage, in my opinion, is utilization and people being all of a sudden now seeking how do I better utilize my technicians so that we aren't as impacted by not having a full staff? So th that's great news. Yeah. And again, if you dig through the report, they go into very good detail, I think, on where they spend most or where technicians felt like they spent the most of their time at work and, and where were the areas that they thought that they could actually do more opportunities, like with patient care and education and so forth. I, I thought that, I mean, there are, this is for me, I love the, the, the lessons from it, you know, not like you said, not just the specific demos and some of the emotional parts of it, but I like the, Hey, tell me what you think you could do more of, or what do you enjoy doing more of? And and then maybe I can help as a manager, as a leader to, to sort of obviate that and, and say, let's, let's make it better for you. That's, that's my, again, my value in these kind of reports and bringing it to you guys, the viewfinders. That makes sense, Becky. Yeah. I mean, my entire compassion satisfaction lecture is based on figuring out what you love and doing more of it. I mean, <laughs> right. And honestly, is that, is that not the key to life? Like, what do you love and do more of it? At the end of the day, I, I think all of this boils down to um, our technicians want money. We want to have a living wage. We want to pay our bills because we want to stay in the profession. We become forced to leave when we can't and we feel like we don't have a choice. None of this is about money. It never has been. We just want to have enough to live. But we really want to do what we're trained to do. We really right. want to contribute that medicine and job satisfaction increases when they're able to do that. And that is compensation aside. 
Wow, I love that. So guys, what do you think? What brings you joy? Why are you in this profession? What do you think about NAFTA 2022 demographic survey? I mean, I'd really like to hear your take on it. Again, we'll have all the links in the show notes below. And Becky, I think because they'll be hearing this when you're now president-elect of NAFTA, you got your work cut out for you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I do. But you know what? I love it. And keep answering these surveys. Keep giving the information because then I got something to work with. And that's that's what I need. You know, it's it's absolutely our opportunity to take this information and to put it into practice or to to create a way of improving our profession. Yeah. And, you know, one thing to viewfinders, I want to take this opportunity just to tell you what an amazing opportunity you actually have for the next six years with our podcast. I mean, Becky gives up her time every week to talk about things that are important to the profession. And you've got a direct line to what she's thinking. Becky, I got to tell you, I wish we had more people in leadership like you uh, because, I mean, this transparency and this willingness to to network and and interface with all the people out there that, that matter. I mean, Becky, you should be so, I'm so proud of you. I'm just so proud of you. No, thank you. I'm honored. I I hear you and I I am proud, but more than anything, I'm honored. There's a a whole profession of people I really respect and the opportunity to, presidency NAFTA aside, just in this podcast, be able to try to take what I hear and to get that message out there, to advocate, to cheerlead. Uh, I'm super, super honored at every opportunity I get to do it and even more honored every time one of you guys comes and says, thank you for saying that. We got a lot of great feedback from yeah. our influencer um, episode about folks that needed to hear that. Um, that's what we're here for. And and I'm truly honored for that. And so um, thank you guys for giving me the opportunity, but just by listening. Yeah, and guys, thank you both on behalf of Becky and myself. So many of you guys came up to to me just randomly like, hey, Dr. Ward, <laughs> let's do the podcast. And it, I got to tell you, you have no idea. That is what gives me energy. And it just, it makes me feel so good about doing this. So again, Becky, if they want to tell us, not in real life, maybe, but online, where could they tell us that they enjoy listening to it, the, the podcast? <laughs> Well, if you enjoy it, you can come and find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. You can shoot us an email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. If you do not, we are Vet Tech Cafe Podcast, and you can find <laughs> us there. <laughs> I'm just kidding, you guys. Oh, yeah. We got to give it I'm to you guys. I'm sending my complaints over to you guys. Uh, <laughs> That's right, guys. We Definitely reach out to us. Uh, we will be at WBC, so hopefully we can see some of you in person there real soon. Guys, on behalf of Becky and me, we really had a blast uh, meeting so many down at uh, BMX. Congratulations again to the whole NABC team. And Becky, I guess we will talk to him next week. Bye. Bye.